in a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Brandon is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Plenty to get to here over the next 45 minutes or so. We'll talk about Wisconsin Bowl game there in the Dukes Mayo Bowl against Wake Forest. We'll uh, talk about Jack Cohn's decision, unsurprisingly, to transfer. He's in transfer portal now, and we'll get to your Twitter questions as well. But we get to start, Jesse, talking about a win for the first time in quite some time. The Badgers... Pick up a victory. They beat Minnesota 20-17. to Colin Larsh, a field goal in overtime to give him the win and the Axe, their first win since November 14th. Probably a relief more than anything, but hey, it's 2020. A lot is different, but Wisconsin only Minnesota in football. It stays the same. And what an entertaining game it was. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect going into this thing, and... You joked after Minnesota took a 7-0 lead that it was an insurmountable lead, and based on the way the last three games had played out, it sort of felt like that, and it took a little while to get going. But Garrett Groshek has a career day, 154 yards rushing. He'd never rushed for more than 73 yards before Saturday. Jack Dunn has career highs in receptions and receiving yards. And hey, what about Chase Wolf coming in and throwing a, a massive touchdown pass after Graham Mertz goes down with an apparent head injury. It was just a it was a wild game, and really it added to the lore of what the Minnesota-Wisconsin rivalry has been. And now Wisconsin is going bowling. And honestly, maybe Wisconsin would have been in a bowl either way as a 2-4 and four team, simply because there were so many teams that opted out. Um, but this at least makes it feel like they were worthy of being a bowl team as a 500 team. Yeah, it was a much-needed win, and they did it shorthanded as all could be, right? Missing three of their top four tailbacks, missing three of their top six wide receivers without left tackle Cole Van Lennon, obviously played without Caden Lyles, a starting center. We knew that they were struggling offensively for a lot of different reasons, but the injuries and COVID were certainly a big part of it. But they did just enough. And you're right, Chase Wolf obviously comes in. Graham gets knocked out of the game on that, what was it, a second down play on that run, that scramble up the middle. And Chase comes in, first play, throws a touchdown. You need that type of play, I guess, from guys coming in. And it wasn't his first play. Obviously, he had the the two quarterback runs that they had coming out of halftime, which, I, again, I still don't understand exactly what that drive was. But Chase said afterwards that that was kind of the plan coming in, that he knew he was going to play. It kind of felt like there for a second that they were just going to go to Chase Wolf because Graham had struggled in the first half, but it was not to be. It was just a few, few uh, quarterback runs there. But, you know, without his... Uh, perhaps athletic ability, I, I don't know if the touchdown throw goes through. I mean, him him having you know the speed just to have enough time to get the ball off and get it to Jack Dunn. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of quintessential Chase Wolf is one of the things that has separated him and from some of the other quarterbacks is his mobility and the, the willingness to get outside the pocket. He rolled to the left and, and found Jack and Jack Dunn. And, you know, it was a critical play. I, I, I'm with you that <laughs> for him to come in as part of a, a two-play package where he just ran the ball didn't make a whole lot of sense, although, to be fair, he did gain nine yards on the second run that was called back because of a penalty, so it never happened. But, I mean, he yes, he is mobile, but he's a passing quarterback. In high school, he threw the ball a ton. He threw 27 touchdown passes his senior year, 2,532 yards passing. So that was interesting to me. I really thought 
like you when he came in that it was to to give Graham a longer break than two plays. Um, but yeah, this this game really had everything, and it's been a continuation the same old story for Wisconsin where they've just been decimated offensively by injuries or illness. And the moment that I think really stood out to me, or one of them, was the the first offensive drive. Right, the backup running back is walk on Brady Shipper who had moved from safety back to running back this season because of a depth shortage. And then Julius Davis makes his debut, his first appearance in a game for one carry, and then it ends with Colin Larsh missing a 46-yard field goal wide right. And it's like, man, if this is what today is going to be like for Wisconsin, it's going to be a long day. And obviously Wisconsin decided to give the ball a lot to Garrett Groshek, which was a good decision. But, uh, yeah, it was just a really wild day offensively for Wisconsin that required a lot of unsung heroes. They did just enough, and it started with Garrett Groshek. He's the first guy to get a 100-yard game this year. I think he's the first one since Jonathan Taylor in the Big Ten Championship game. They, JT didn't run for 100 yards against Oregon in the in the Rose Bowl. They didn't have any in the first five games this year. It's that's as long. That's a long, long streak. He had more yards rushing on Saturday than he had the entire season to that point. So it was kind of out of left field. That said. Minnesota's not a very good defensive team. Uh, people have put up points on them all year. and So if Wisconsin couldn't get done against them, even with all their injuries and all that stuff, it would have been probably pretty disappointing. But they got the effort from Garrett Groshek, and they got the effort from Jack Dunn. Is that, yeah, is that, they did. Is that, Go as, ahead. is that as good as we can expect from from Jack Dunn? Like I, that, I mean, that's he was, I don't want to call him a lifesaver, but he was. I mean, he was, and they, they targeted him a bunch. But he came down with pretty much anything that was coming his way for the most part. Yeah, I do think that's about as good as you can expect. And, um, you know, that's a compliment. He had seven catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown catch. Uh, you know how many other catches a wide receiver on the team had? One. One. Shimray DK had one catch for nine yards. And obviously Wisconsin's offense in general relies on fullbacks, running backs, tight ends. Garrett caught four passes. Jake Ferguson caught three. But I, I'm with you. He, he was a lifesaver. And, and about Garrett Groshek, um, just the the performance of his career when when Wisconsin absolutely needed it. You're right. Minnesota's defense has been porous this season, uh, but Garrett was great. He averaged 6.4 yards per carry. He carried the ball 24 times, and it's a very similar situation to the receiver room. You know, who did who did they have available after him? And there there just wasn't a ton, and certainly not in the way of experience. So um, it just it took everything Wisconsin had to win this game. Uh, and it was it was a lot of fun to watch. And, and those are guys that came in without a scholarship. And it's just sort of continuing in that tradition of guys who uh, who make big plays as as seniors and older guys. There were a couple of play calls that I think some people probably disagreed with. Is that fair to say? I think that's probably the case every week. There was, what there was there was a, there was a pretty big one. There was a pretty the big one. Chase Wolf. There, there was a pretty big one there in the fourth yeah, quarter. I agree. Uh, at the time, I was not a huge fan of the call. Uh, I didn't think that's a call you make in that situation. After listening to Chase Wolf talk about it in the post game, I still don't dis- I still don't agree with it, but I understand what they were doing. Chase Wolf said that the previous drive they had run the same play over and over and over again, but it was a it was a run, so it was the same it was the same run action, such you know play action pass, but it was run action. They did the exact same thing they had done on the drive before, and uh, they were hoping to catch Minnesota off guard, and they did. The safeties came hard. They I mean the safeties linebackers were all all bid on it. So it was one-on-one uh, on the outside with Devin Chandler, and, and there was another receiver in the route, but Chase Wolf just didn't give Chandler a chance. I mean, he underthrew it, and uh, you know Chandler probably could have played defense defense better, but I understood what they were doing. Didn't necessarily agree with what they were doing, but I understood what they were doing. 
Yeah, I mean, that is obviously the play that stands out the most. And it was coming off two plays where Groshek had carried twice for 19 yards. So they're at they're, they're first and 10 at, at the Minnesota 40. And I understand it, too. You, you, you shoot your shot and you take it. And if it's not an interception, you live to fight another day at second and 10 from the Minnesota 40. And you've still got a minute 19 or so to go. But that was the absolute worst case scenario. And if it weren't for Leo Chanel, which I'm sure we'll get into too, you know, Minnesota could have gone down and put itself in position to kick a field goal. But obviously he got a huge sack that led to a fumble and Minnesota just basically was like, let's get to overtime. So um, questionable play calling perhaps because Garrett had been so good and it's like, why take the ball out of your best playmaker's hands? Because that's what he was on Saturday. Uh, but it, it didn't come back to bite Wisconsin in the end since they won in overtime. It didn't. And when they got to overtime, there was no passing. It was Garrett, no, Grosh- Garrett Groshek. To Garrett. Yes, it was Garrett Groshek time, and then it was uh, Colin Larch time, and he drilled his 30 yard field goal, whereas Minnesota's guy could not. And it, uh, that was the difference. But yeah, I mean, it, it's for Wisconsin. I don't know. Maybe it's it, maybe it's just because they because of the past three games. But it felt the, the sideline felt a little. Was a ton of emotion on the sideline until late in the game. It didn't feel like it. Again, sitting so far up, it's it's hard to gauge it, and maybe it's just because a better view of of the Minnesota sideline. It felt like they were into it from the beginning in Wisconsin. It took a little bit for them to get into it, but once they did, they figured it out. And defensively, again, they gave up what was a hundred and some. What what did Ibrahim uh, have or Ibrahim? Yeah, he had uh, twenty six carries for one hundred fifty one yards. But they kept him out of the end zone. Although, I mean, one of them was called back. But, you know, this is a guy who's a Big Ten running back of the year at 15 touchdowns. So a lot of yards, but no touchdowns. And it really wasn't like there were a couple of gashes. Like he gashed him a couple times. But yeah. I thought for the most part they held him in check. You know, just in terms of, you know, when a guy runs for 150 yards, you didn't hold him in check, check. You know what I'm saying? But, like, there were some big plays there that that he was able to make, some some gash plays that made it look worse than it probably was. But he was the offense for them. You know, like uh, Tanner Morgan, is it safe to say he took a significant uh, step back this year? And I know he didn't have Tyler Johnson, and then he didn't have, hasn't had Rashad Bateman in the last two games, but feels like he's taken a step back, and and probably some of that has to do with the fact that they have a new offensive coordinator and all that good stuff. But his throw over the middle that Eric Burrell picked off was a yeah. huge, huge play in that game. I mean, they they they're kicking a field goal there probably instead, and who knows if he hits it, but they're kicking a field goal in, there instead. Burrell picks it off and, and saves points and. He just stared him down, and Burrell said as much after. He goes, he goes, that guy, all, that guy, just stares his guys down. You know, you know exactly where it's going. His eyes tell you exactly where it's going all the time, and he just played it and played it perfectly, and and stepped on one of those those slants and made a huge, huge play. But defensively, the star of the game for Wisconsin was Leo Chenal, who had a monster day. Uh, Thirteen tackles, five tackles for loss, a sack, a forced fumble. He was awesome. Yeah, he was he was really good. I wrote about him for a story in the Athletic on Monday, and um, it's what I wrote was it's always interesting because like Wisconsin tends to find some of these small school guys who don't are aren't heavily recruited. They're out in you know small town Wisconsin, and sometimes it's hard to know how good a guy is. Now he was incredible in high school. He was as good a two way player as you could find, but I think there were still probably some questions about well, how good is he going to be when he gets to the Big Ten? And he's been better than anyone could have imagined, right? He was he and Keanu Benton were the only two true freshmen last year who, who didn't need to redshirt. He played in eleven games, and he's just gotten better every single game. He's he's a physical freak, as we know, but he's intelligent and he's always around the ball. And I think it's been even more important this year just because of 
the lack of guys Wisconsin has after Jack Sanborn and Chanel, right? I looked at Pro Football Focus for some snap numbers, and Sanborn has played 337 snaps this year, which is the most defensively on the team. Chanel's second at 324. There's basically nobody else that's played inside linebacker for Wisconsin. Mike Mascalunas has played 26 defensive snaps, and Tatum Grass has played eight. You've got a whole bunch of, of uh, freshmen, and then you've got redshirt freshman Muma Jong Meta who haven't played yet. So to me, that makes what both Leo and Jack have done this year even more amazing uh, because they just didn't have anyone else they could rely on, and they have rode those guys hard, and they've been tremendous. And I think a lot, you mentioned Keanu Benton. I think a large part of it, is that defensive line allowing those guys to stay clean for the most part and go and make plays? And you know that starts with Garrett Rand and Keanu Benton and Isaiah Loudermilk and Isaiah Mullins and before he got hurt, Matt Henningsen, you know, and even Bryson Williams a little bit as well. All those guys keeping that that linebacker crew clean and letting them go make plays it was huge. It was huge, uh, especially against Minnesota when uh, you desperately needed it. I mean that no defense at least in the Paul Christ era here, has been needed more this year than, than this one because of how limited the offense has been the last four games, right? Like, no, no team has needed this kind of defensive performance more than this year's Badgers. I can't think of, I can't think of another year where the offense was this big of a liability and uh, the defense has stepped up and, and more, more, more than held its own. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, unfortunately for Wisconsin, it hasn't mattered in three of those losses. Uh, the defense could have been damn near perfect, and, and it, it wouldn't have mattered because the Badgers couldn't score more than seven points. But, yeah, there's, there's certainly been the, for lack of, for the nicest way to put it, the least consistent offense that I've seen in my 10 seasons on the beat. And like we said before, when you're comparing an offense to anything associated with the 1990 Wisconsin team, you've got problems, and they hadn't lost three in a row in more than a decade. So, um, I'm, I'm with you. I think they've, they've more than held their own and obviously did everything they needed to do to help Wisconsin win that game against Minnesota, which I, ultimately this is sort of feels like a lost season anyway. They only wound up playing six games before this bowl and had all these cancellations and all these obstacles. But that, that Minnesota win was just huge. I think for the, the psyche of the team that has been through so much, just look at the way they celebrated afterward. It felt like something more than getting to three and three, you know? Yeah, no, it definitely did. It wasn't the same. It didn't have the same axe feel, right? Like we had, the, the axe wasn't on the sideline, so you, uh, Mike Mascalunas had to go back into the locker room. It was kind of, kind of like Gary Anderson days where he had to yeah. go back into the locker room to get the, to get the axe and bring it out. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I shouldn't say that. Last year, last year up in Minneapolis, they brought the axe out from the locker room late. And I remember seeing the guy, uh, leave it at the goalpost. <laughs> the the, the go Stafford, just leave it at the goalpost. But this time, Mike Mascalunas brought it out, and the entire team crowded around him and just you know, jumping up and down and then going and, and doing the, the normal axing. Though apparently they had to force Garrett Groshek to do it. He is the football guy of football guys. said, doesn't really like trophies. Doesn't really like awards. He loves the game. He just wants to play the game. Doesn't, doesn't really matter about the trophies themselves. Yeah, he said John Dietzen was the one who coaxed him into it. I mean, yeah, Garrett doesn't care about anything, but get get me to another game, and he certainly deserved to chop it. I wonder if, you know, we'll be talking about this the whole offseason, or at least for the next few weeks. Like, which, which seniors are coming back? You know, he's been here for a million years. I felt like it was indicative of the guys who are not going to be here next year, uh, like the guys who were chopping 
to me, it was like, these guys are gone. And maybe I'm reading way too much into that, <laughs> but I was like watching, okay, uh, Eric Burrell came out with that axe after Mascalunas came out. He ran down to the other end. Then it was Mason Stocky and Dietzen and Adam Bay. And then Caesar Williams is strumming it like a guitar. Are all these guys chopping because they know it's their last game? I mean, it's it's reading way too much into this, but that's kind of where we're at. So, um, but yeah, that was that was interesting about Groshek. And while we're on the subject of Dietzen, I mean, I feel like the offensive line deserves some credit for opening some of those holes for him is that, you know, for the most part, I don't know that the line has been great this year, but for Dietzen to step in and slide over to left tackle uh, in a pinch because Cole Van Landen couldn't play, I think said a lot. It does. He obviously played there a bunch. You know, the last season that he played there, sure. they, they they split time there. But just going back to the X, and I don't want to throw water on on what you're talking about there, right? About the seniors, certain guys chopping. Colin Wilder was chopping. And he is, that is true. And he has already said he's coming back. So I know. I don't, again, I don't want to toss much, you know, a bunch of water on that. But uh, this year, as opposed to last year, where we saw Jonathan Taylor and Quintez Cephas chopping and uh, Tyler Biotis chopping, you know that that meant something to me last year. This year, mm-hmm. who knows? But I I appreciate that's exa- that's exactly what I was kind of looking at too after the game to see because uh, you never know how, what guys are feeling. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, John Dietzen, how lucky is it that they had him come back? Because I I mean I know people wanted to see Logan Brown there. At yeah. left tackle, but John Dietzen deserved it and uh, gave them their best chance, and and that's why he played. I think uh, what they have behind the guys that played this year, and, and they, you know, some of them have years, you know, still years to give. But I think a lot of us are anxious to see what it looks like behind them, right? Like whether it's Jack Nelson or Troy Wedig or uh, Logan Brown or next year with Nolan Rucci and Joe Tipman already there and and that type of stuff. So yeah, it's uh. It, that offensive line spot is going to be interesting to watch, and, and who moves inside? We kind of talked about that in the recruiting special with Nolan, and then you asked Joe Rudolph about that last week, right? That he, uh, you know, who moves inside, and he thought uh, Nolan Rucci and Riley Malman are kind of tackles, right? And that uh, he could see Ben Schwal kind of in the similar vein as his brother, who moved from right tackle to right guard and played guard and was an All-American at guard, kind of, kind of see him uh, doing that same thing. Yeah, well, they can't all be tackles, even though the dominant guy in high school is usually a tackle. I mean, Logan Brown's going to be a tackle. Well, Michael Dieter said. was a tackle. Michael Dieter was a tackle in, in high school and never played a, a down a center before he got to Wisconsin. And his first <laughs> right. his first spring, he came in early. His first spring, he had to go against Warren Herring one-on-one and just get whipped. He had never played center in his life before. I remember talking to him, and he's just like, yeah, it's it's eye-opening. Like, I, it's it's crazy. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but... You know, yeah. that's just, I mean, they're that, set that's at what center happens. for the, you know, they've got Caden Lyles, obviously, assuming he's healthy, and we'll have to see. He's dealt with injuries before, but you've still got Cormac Sampson and obviously Tanner Bordellini. And so to me, it's probably the guard spots and, and how that all shakes out. But like Jack Nelson, I mean, he can play tackle. Uh, he has played tackle. You know, he did play, he played guard because he volunteered to play there during the All American Bowl. Um, and I think he can be pretty darn good just about anywhere, which you could say for a lot of these guys. I mean, yes, the future is incredibly bright on the O-line. You're going to lose Van Lannan, who's going to go to the NFL uh, and have a successful career, I would imagine. And John Dietzen's done, too. But you've got a lot of guys coming back uh, and very highly rated guys, too. Yeah, for sure. That is a good group. Uh, the guy that played behind them was another rough day for Graham Mertz, at least initially. I think he closed strong, but why we were all kind of like – Chase, I could we could see Chase Wolf taking over there in the second half. Why we were all in that same that mindset is because he he struggled again with his accuracy and and um, had some guys open and just for whatever reason couldn't put it on him. But I thought he finished strong. His throw to Jack Dunn between right in the zone there on the left side was 
was perfect. It was his best ball of the day. And then he followed that up with a pass down to Jake Ferguson, who set them up, you know, inside the 10 there. So those were two really good balls, and they show exactly what kind of player he can be. But the lack of consistency is, is certainly stood out again uh, against Minnesota. I thought it was interesting uh, on the television broadcast, the announcers were discussing that uh, coaches shared that Graham was perhaps struggling with some confidence lately. Yeah. Which, um, you know, Graham publicly probably wouldn't acknowledge and has not acknowledged. He seems like a very confident guy, but I thought that was a really interesting point that the coaches would, would at least outwardly say that to the television crew. And and you're right. He's, he, he just hasn't looked like the guy we thought he would be in the last five games. And, um, but he did string together his two best throws in the right moments. You mentioned he, the, the throw to Dunn between two guys went for 24 yards. And then he threw right over the top of the linebacker for 23 yards to Ferguson and got him down to the four yard line before he was hurt. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like against Wake Forest um, in this Duke's Mayo Bowl, but this has been one weird year uh, for quarterbacks all around. And I'm sure we'll segue into uh, the other quarterback situation at Wisconsin right now with Jack Cohn. Yeah. So just before we do that, I did, I did ask Paul Christ, you know, about the injured guys and said they were hopeful, but. You know, we have a long week before the game. Game's, you know, nine days away, so uh, it's a little bit longer week for, for guys to get back, so it's potential. He's hopeful that you get – and I mentioned the three – I mentioned three guys, Mertz, Davis, and Pryor, and said hopeful, but I, I don't even know what that means. So we'll see. It'd be a huge, huge lift if they could get certainly Davis and Pryor back. And then also Jalen Berger, it sounds like they will have him back uh, because of the change in the 21-day rule that uh, the Big Ten has instituted, you know, in terms of guys that – test positive uh, because he tested positive on the I think it was the 11th the 17 days starts the next day and that would have him eligible by the 29th the Badgers play in the 30th so I think it's likely that we see Jalen Berger in the bowl game which uh, is always fun because that's the kind of guy that we want to see in the backfield as good as Eric Groshek was I think people would rather would really like to see Jalen Berger a little bit more this year so with that said yeah let's move into Jack Cohn he made news on Sunday announcing that he was Entering the transfer portal and moving away from Wisconsin, Paul Chris said today that it, the the news first came to him, or I guess Cone first came to him, was before the uh, Iowa game, the Iowa week, and uh, he's decided to move on. I guess that would answer our question as to why he was dressed but not playing against Iowa and uh, and Minnesota. And so who move on? And look, Jack was very very good last year. He had one of the better seasons uh, for a Wisconsin quarterback in history, and I feel horrible that he, it went out the way that he did, you know, breaking his foot the way he did. And he seems like a really, really good kid. Wasn't always great with the media, but that's not everyone's forte, right? Not, everyone's, uh, not everyone loves to talk like Graham Mertz. But I think overall, when you look back, when he moves on, and, and uh, when you think about five, ten years from now, you're going to think very positive thoughts about what Jack Cohn did in 2019 and just his overall you know, resume at Wisconsin. Yeah, definitely. I mean, numbers wise, yeah, that was one of the better seasons that we've seen in a long time. And was the he threw for twenty seven hundred twenty seven yards last season. That was the third most in a single season in school history. Sixty nine point six percent completion rate, third best in a single season in school history. And I think also just the leadership and the way that teammates responded to him and rallied around him. But this is what I want to get to really. Uh, and I was going to say this whether uh, we knew when Jack came to. Uh, Paul and the coaches are not, but 
obviously Jack didn't just decide to make this decision on Sunday morning when he entered the transfer portal. This had been something that had been brewing for a little bit. And as you said, Paul mentioned that Jack brought it to his attention the week of the Iowa game. So this tells me a couple things, right? Uh, at a certain point, there had to have been a discussion between Jack and the coaches about what his future at Wisconsin was. And it's pretty clear that the coaching staff was either ready to go all in on Graham or certainly not ready to say that Jack was going to be the guy. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, whether it was telling Jack, you're going to split snaps with Graham, you're going to be the backup, or you're going to have to compete for the job. But obviously that did not sit particularly well with Jack that when he was healthy, he was the starter. He got injured. And then if he comes back healthy, he lost his job. Now, we'll probably never know the inner workings of how all that went down. But it's pretty clear that something in that vein uh, happened because if the coaching staff would have said, Jack, when you're healthy, you're our guy, I think he's still here, right? Um, that makes a lot of sense. So that's probably where things stand. And, you know, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not going to say the coaching staff is going to regret that decision because it seems like Graham has a bright future and he hasn't had a lot of offensive piece, pieces to work with. But uh, it's been quite a struggle the last sev several games. And, you know, you probably would have liked to have a, a quarterback like Jack available, but that's obviously not how it's go gone down. Correct. It's not. And I think after you don't get into the Indiana game when the offense clearly struggled and uh, there was no change coming against Iowa, the writing was on the wall, right? I mean, that's to me that pretty much says what is what, what's going to happen. Like, even when Graham struggled, they weren't going to put Jack in. And so, yeah, he made the move, the move, and now he's got uh, to an opportunity. I think it was also very clear, like, when they saw the graduation pictures from uh, Eric Burrell, or no, who was it? It was Colin Wilder. He showed Jack graduated in three and a half years. Didn't graduate for no reason. Now, obviously, now recruits the NCAA passed that rule where you can transfer without having to sit a year, right, uh, you know, one time, the one-time transfer rule. But I wonder, I think he knew that it was a possibility. He graduated early, and you could move on as a graduate transfer right away and uh, not have to sit and be ready to go next year, as opposed to potentially having to sit if he hadn't gotten his degree. Yeah, and I, you know, can't fault him for making this decision. Obviously, every player has to do what's best for him. But if he wasn't going to be the guy, I feel like he had done enough and earned the right to have an opportunity to do that somewhere. And I'll be very interested to see where he lands and what he's able to do next season. And it, it's, I think the juxtaposition of him leaving versus Alex Hornerbrook leaving is also interesting because fans will probably remember Cone much more fondly, even though Hornerbrook in totality contributed more and helped lead that team to an Orange Bowl win and a 13-win season. Um, but to have two senior quarterbacks transfers, graduate transfers at Wisconsin in the last couple of years um, is pretty interesting to me. And for completely different reasons, too, right? Like, Alex Hornibrook just didn't play well in 2018. He just if he, he wasn't any good, for the most part. And they were moving on from him. In this situation, Jack played pretty darn well last year and got hurt. And they moved on from him. I guess you could say that they're similar in that they moved on, but they moved on for different reasons. If Alex had played well, if Alex had played as well as he did in 27 and 2018, you think he's moving on? Even with his like, even with the concussions, you think he's moving on? I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think he is saying, "Nope, I'm done." If he had played at the same level as 2017, maybe that's obvious, but he didn't, and he and the, the coaching staff had seen enough. Um, yeah. Jack's different. Jack, Jack played well, and they just feel that Graham is the is the future, and I think we can all agree with that, right? Yeah, I think we can, but I don't. Yeah, I don't I don't want to read too much into these five games where there's basically been no offensive weapons. Um, but 
I, I do wonder, is he going to be the slam dunk that a lot of people think and, and maybe even someone's jumped about? off. Someone has jumped off the bandwagon. Jesse no, I, Temple I just, has abandoned, abandoned no, Graham Mertz. No, he is uh, not. He, he has jumped off the wagon and is just waving everybody as uh, it keeps on going down the road. Or is it or is it on the side of the road right now, Jesse? And it's just it's barely moving. Is it just going very, very slow like the Oregon Trail? Like, I'm just saying the obvious based on what we've seen the last five games, like Graham has missed open throws and even if those receivers aren't named Danny Davis or Kendrick Pryor you still got to put them on him it's I just wonder what what the future will hold and maybe it'll be a completely different situation with different guys around him or if Danny and Kendrick are healthy um you know Wisconsin coaches had to make a decision I think it, it makes sense that they believe Graham is the future but uh I don't know we'll we'll, we'll see how good he can be with a with this full complement of players. This is very interesting. I think we may need to put out a press release announcing that Jesse, <laughs> Jesse Temple has uh, stepped down as the PR director for Graham Mertz's future. I was never the PR director, but he's good for business. <laughs> and he's a good People player. People want to read about Graham Mertz. And he's a good player, right? He's a, he's a good player, yes. has, ch- has a chance to be special. Physically, he's got the chance to be special. And I feel like uh, they'll get it figured out, and, he'll be, and they'll be fine. But yeah, it's... Uh, Wow, this is amazing! Like what? What? Well, what, just, what? He's completed fifty six. What two of his months? What less? Picks. In less than two months, Jesse has abandoned his feeling yeah. on Graham Mertz. Two over the top. I'm. I'm just wondering abandoned. where things will head in I'm the out. future. I'm out. All right, that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, Jack Cohn leaving Wisconsin and uh, very favorable thoughts about uh, Jack Cohn as, as opposed to perhaps. As you mentioned with uh, Alex Hornibrick, uh, his departure was a little bit different, uh, I think, for everybody involved. That said, uh, Wisconsin does have another game to play. They're going to be taking on Wake Forest in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Have you ever had Duke's Mayo, Jesse? I, I've not. Um, Are you a mayo guy? Yeah. Okay. I, I like mayo. Uh, I'm trying to think of the brand. Was it? Uh, what's the main one there? Heilman's? Maybe. Heilman's, I think, is the, is, is the one that is popular here, I thought. Am I wrong? I'm not a big mayo guy. I think you know what it is. I'm, it's the, it's the uh, I think I go with the Kraft mayo. Okay, Kraft, With the yeah. olive oil in it. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a solid mayo. So I can't say I've, I've been on the Duke's mayo bandwagon. And I can't say that I knew this bowl existed until it just showed up on uh over the weekend, have, I mean, it you, was it was the Belk Bowl, yeah. for the rest of the decade before. But I just, it's such a crazy season that, uh, <laughs> like, two games into the year, you're thinking this is a maybe a New Year's Six type team, and then they wind up as the fifth best team in the Big Ten, and it's like a relief that they're in a bowl game at all. It's just what a crazy year. Yeah, I mean, they got the last bowl, right? Like they, uh, no one else in the Big Ten. There's only. There's only five teams bowling in the Big Ten. Obviously, Ohio State's in the playoff, but then Indiana, Iowa, and who's the other team? And Northwestern and Wisconsin. Those are the only five teams from the Big Ten that are in the bowl, bowl games this year because bowl games got canceled. The two lower bowls in the Big Ten got canceled. There were only six bowls, and two of them got canceled. And uh, you know, I think five or six teams said we're not going to bowl anyways. But uh, there were a couple other teams that were under 500 that uh, could have gotten one. Had Wisconsin lost to Minnesota, I think – Minnesota ended up saying no, we don't want to go a bowl, but they another team could have gotten that 
that spot instead of Wisconsin. I think it's a good thing. These guys got three games taken away from them. They only played six games this year. To have that seventh game is is big because they came here to play football. And I know some people are like, just end the season already. We don't want to play another game. You may not, but those players do. And it was almost to a man that they wanted to play. And I imagine, Paul Chris said nobody had opted out as of Monday, and I imagine there won't be anybody outside of Jack Cohn um, deciding, saying he was going to transfer. But they just want to play. And I who doesn't matter where the bowl game is, and I know we're still in a pandemic, but they want to play. They had three games taken away, and if they're healthy enough to play and they have enough players to go, play the damn game. Yeah, it's a big deal to these players, and credit to them for wanting to persevere and play in another game because there are a lot of teams that have been totally exhausted. Um, you know, Pitt was one of the teams that uh, opted out, and Charlie Partridge is a former Wisconsin assistant, is an assistant there, and he tweeted something about, like, there was a player vote and 90% of them said they didn't want to do it. They were just, like, mentally worn out. But you're right. It was to a man. Everybody who was asked, Graham Mertz was asked about it last week. You know, Jack Dunn's been asked about it. Garrett Groshek. Eric Burrell was asked about it after the game yeah. on Saturday. They all wanted to play a game, and a lot of them, Colin Wilder, too. They, they all cited um, just not having those three games. It made it feel like it was far from a complete season, and, and these guys just want to be able to do it, and it's not going to be a normal bowl experience. I mean, these teams in general, they're like flying in the day before. They're going to play a game, and Paul talked about it during his Monday news conference that it's almost like an extended game week as opposed to some type of bowl prep or really a bowl experience. Yeah, it's it's not going to be the same. Nor, but and someone com, uh, someone compared Wake Forest to Illinois in my mentions, and I said Wake Forest is four and four. They've got a pretty good offense, not a very good defense, but they have one of the better receivers in the country, and Jaquari Roberson. I think it's going to be a good game, and I'm hopeful. I think we all are to see Wisconsin's offense somewhat closer to full strength. Hopefully, they get Danny Davis back, and hopefully, they get Kendrick Pryor back. And I, I think they will see Jalen Berger, and, and hopefully Graham is able to play, depending on how serious uh, that head injury was. Now he was able to come back out and dance around the field and run up and down the field with them after the game. But, uh, you know, I'm sure he's – I guess I shouldn't speculate on whether he's in the, the protocol. But, uh, you know, we'll see if he's back. So isn't that something to look forward to? Like that, I, that's kind of what has been, you know, dragging people along is to potentially get some of those guys back and see what the offense looks like when everyone's healthy – what we saw in those first two games. I think so. I mean, it's not a great bowl game, but it's a bowl game. And in this season of all seasons, that means something. And I think, you know, this is the 19th straight year Wisconsin's played in a bowl game, which I, I really, I wasn't aware of this, but it's the second longest bowl streak in Big Ten history. Michigan went to 33 straight bowl games from 1975 to 2007. And there's only two teams that have longer bowl game streaks right now. Georgia's at 24, Oklahoma's at 22, and Boise State also has 19. So, you know, this has sort of become the staple for Wisconsin is to play in the postseason to play a bowl games. And so I think it'll be a good matchup. I'm right there with you. It'll be far more interesting and compelling if Wisconsin has its full complement of players. Um, and, you know, that game can mean a lot for going into the offseason feeling good about yourself and getting a better look at some of these guys who who will be the future. The more reps they can get, the better. Yeah, no, definitely will. And uh, it's it's it also serve as kind of a send-off for these guys as well. I, like, I don't think, you know, if Cole Van Lanning can't play, I think John Dietzen will start a left tackle again. Like, they're going to they're gonna play to win the game. So it's not like it's going to be a situation where you're only going to see young guys. They're going to play to win that game, and that in, includes, as I said, John Dietzen, a left tackle, and certain guys at certain spots that you probably would let, rather see the young guys, but they're going to play – 
the older guys to win. So let's get into some of the uh, Twitter questions here. Uh, Cole asked, do you think these offensive struggles are just a blip on the radar or more representative of, of things to come given how they've recruited these skill positions? Well, I would like to think that it's more of the blip on the radar because I certainly wouldn't want to see this <laughs> for, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. They've got a lot of good skill position players coming in. I mean, I think we're seeing what it looks like without some of those veterans like Danny and Kendrick, obviously. And I do wonder if Jake Ferguson tests the waters and leaves – what what type of playmakers, even though they've got talent at tight end, like who they'll be able to use. But I think it's more of a blip. Um, you know, Marcus Allen, I think, can contribute early as a four-star wide receiver. But uh, it does give me, and we talked about this before, it does give me, like, cause for pause a little bit. You know, what, what exactly will this look like in the future? Because I think we've grown accustomed to Wisconsin having one of the best offensive lines, one of the best running backs in the country, and, and being able to do just enough in the passing game. I mean, Jalen Berger appears to be on that road, but I'm not sure. So cause for pause, sort of cause for pause. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Uh, Frank says, Oh, before we move on, you mentioned, uh, getting those guys back. Joe Rudolph with the, probably some of the best news of last week for Wisconsin. Right. And and saying that, uh, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, while nothing official believes that they will be back and, uh, to finish out, what they would hope to be a better senior year. Danny Davis played in just two games. Kendrick Pryor's played in two and a half games. So that was good news, I think, um, to say the least, just because you don't really know what you'd be counting on next year. Uh, you'd be kind of counting on what you have now without knowing exactly what you'll get. And Marcus Allen and, and some of the younger younger guys that haven't played, but I think that was very good news, and if it ends up happening, uh, is is significant towards next year's offense. Frank says, I get Jack Dunn works hard and did fine. Uh, against Minnesota, but why can't their wide receivers get separation? Chandler, Abbott, Mustafa, development or lack of speed or technique? I don't think it's a lack of speed. Some of those dudes are really fast. They put up some good numbers. Um, I don't know if it's experience or strength or more physicality. Um, I don't know. I mean, Devin Chandler, he's, I mean, he just took his – he played his first snaps like the other week on offense. So I'm not going to – I'll withhold – judgment on him with with the redshirt sophomores with Abbott and Mustafa I mean it's it's been an interesting ride watching them because we thought they should be in position to contribute more and Abbott has started to I don't know what the answer is but um uh, yeah what do you got Zach well no you you mentioned we thought they would develop I've never seen them in spring ball when they came, they came in early Mustafa looked great like yeah it's physical yeah. looked ready to go yeah yeah, he was him and uh, AJ Taylor had huge springs that year because there was nobody else. Like I think they had a bunch of guys out. They he they look really good and he even caught a touchdown as a true freshman. He caught uh, Danny Vandenboom's only pass for a touchdown. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened there. I don't know why that did not work out or why it hasn't worked out to this point and whether it can ever be changed. I'm also very in. You know, I would have liked to have asked this question of Paul Christ because I think it's it's relevant, and who knows if he would have given any kind of a good answer. But, you know, whether he, what he thinks about this one-time transfer rule that's going to allow guys to come and go as they please for, you know, one time in their career, and whether we could see some of these guys head out, not having to, to set out at another school. I, I'm not saying that any of them will, but guys that have underperformed or maybe not lived up to what they want or, or aren't getting the playing time that they want moving on and going somewhere else. I think it's a – I mean, this is this is going to be free agency, like NFL free agency. That's essentially what this is going to be, just 
throwing everybody in a pool and, and letting them go wherever the heck they want. And it's going to be compounded by the fact that we don't know scholarship wise and like the scholarship numbers and that type of thing. Like who's, uh, how many scholarship guys are going to be able to have? I don't yeah. think the NCAA has answered that question yet. So this off season in college football is going to be as wild as any, I think we'll, we'll ever see. And while we're on the subject of transfers, I think it's worth noting that uh, Syed Khalif, who's Wisconsin's director of player personnel, the guy in charge of spearheading the recruiting attack for for the program. He was asked last week on signing day how aggressively Wisconsin would attack the transfer market. And I thought he gave a pretty good expansive answer. Ultimately, what it boiled down to was if we have a true solid need and we don't feel like it's getting met, then he's sure that Paul Christ would say, let's go see what we can see. But they're not going to take a guy just because. And I thought he laid out some of the challenges, too, of, of what it would be like to pursue a transfer. And and you're right, like this may be the wildest, weirdest year, but we know this isn't something Wisconsin generally does. If I'm not mistaken, the only, uh, well, there's been a few transfers yeah. uh, that Col- they've taken. Colin Wilder. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's got to be the right fit, right? And, and, and Saeed was talking about like asking questions of these kids. Did you leave because you were a problem? Did you leave because you didn't play? And if you didn't play there, what makes you think you can play here? And can you qualify academically? So I think those are things to, to consider. But, uh, you know, if there's a need, They'll pursue it. But he also said that at least in the recruiting class for 2021, they are completely full. So, it, you know, I don't expect a Jalen Berger type situation where they're going to add a piece in this later period in February. So I don't know how much movement there's going to be. But you're right. If if guys start leaving and there's other people available, maybe they do add a piece or two. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I again, I think it's going to be crazy. I do. Richard asks, uh, who will be very strongly con- who will strongly contend for starting the line spots next season from the 2019, 2020, and 2021 recruiting classes? That's a lot of guys. Um, yes, it is. Well, I guess we could, might as well just give our educated guesses on what we think it'll look like. So Van Lannan and Dietzen are gone. I mean, I, I would peg Logan Brown as a left tackle. You know, you'll still have Seltzner. I think Lyles if he's healthy is the center and then you've still got um beach and brus yeah. so to me it's a pretty veteran unit i think you're going to have four guys with starting experience back um if i had to pick a young guy i think it'll be logan just based on the fact that he's been the backup left tackle but i'm not going to just pencil him in because i mean jack nelson has been really impressive i mean can nolan rucci come in and, and play right away i don't know but that's my guess at the first five yeah and then there's going to be a number of young guys that i think can fill in and you know they can go seven, eight deep. Yeah. I just don't know when Caden Lyles is going to be healthy because you yes. think, I mean, the injury that like he got injured on, what was it? December 5th when that, that game, that Indiana game is December 5th. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty late in a season. Obviously it's, it's the latest regular season game that they've ever played before these, these, these past two games. So I don't know when he's going to be ready. I also wonder about Tyler Beach at, at left tackle and whether he could play it. He has in the mm-hmm. past, and potentially getting Jack Nelson in at right tackle uh, yep. if, if Logan's not ready or if something else happens there with him. So the, the, the guys that have a chance, also Joe Tipman. Can Joe Tipman jump in and potentially battle Josh Seltzner for that, that guard spot? Um, I think it's a possibility. Uh, yep. and, and if Cade Lyles is not healthy, does Joe Tipman jump in at center? Because that was the other position that he was working at. Now he was... I believe he was behind Cormac, so so maybe he's not at that level, you know, to 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 jump ahead of him. But I think Joe Tipman competes for one of the guard spots. I think Logan Bross, if he, I, I think he's your right guard, but I think that's the only one that's set in stone 
based on injury and uh, the uncertainty behind the rest of it. That, to me, I think the only position that's set in stone would be Logan Bruss. Yep, I think those are all good points. I think if it's not Caden Lyles, it will be Cormac Sampson again at center. And, um, you know, they believe Joe said, I mean, because when I talked to Joe in the summer, like the plan was that Tippman would be one of the three guys that he looked at. It was going to be Lyles if he's healthy and then Sampson and Tippman. But the yep. Tippman wasn't, Tippman was so far behind that he decided to move him to another spot where he'd have a better chance to compete. So if that is still accurate, I think it'll be Sampson at center if, if it's not Lyles. But I'm with you. Tippman, obviously. Very highly regarded prospect, could contribute at guard, and if it's not as a starter, it could be as a reserve. Um, and I, yeah, you're right. Like Jack Nelson, he could be a starter at tackle instead of Logan, and they could shift guys. They've got a lot of versatility there, and that's something that Rudy likes. Was it about it? Get the best five. Get the best. Always five. get the best five. Get the best five. Adam says, uh, "How bad was the officiating on Saturday?" And uh, the Morgan fumble, the touchback, Mertz being targeted by the uh, defensive back. I, obviously, the most egregious one, I think, it was the fumble. I, I really did think, I really thought it was a fumble. And it was a huge play, obviously. Could have given Wisconsin the ball at the Minnesota 40, right around the 40. Instead, Minnesota is able to pin them back deep. So I, it was, it was not good. I, I'm, I, I think everyone didn't, uh, and obviously, I didn't get to listen to the TV ca- uh, broadcast, but it sounded like uh, the uh, rules expert was surprised that it was overturned. Yes. He was wrong on a first uh, on the first couple. Dean Blandino, I think it was. It was uh, surprise. Like he he said that it should be the other call. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to complain about the officiating. I don't. I can't even remember all the calls that were right or wrong. It's just that's a that's a weekly uh, staple of fandom. I think. Oh no doubt. There. <laughs> yes, no doubt. Uh, Sports by Schmitz says he saw Isaiah Mullins on the field a good time or a good chunk is Bryson Williams falling back on the depth chart. They play different positions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mullins, well, Mullins is number three. You know, he's, he's their, yeah, their third defensive end. He's their third defensive end. So yeah, you're going to see him on the field a bunch. And when, it, yeah. and when a team is spreading you out and uh, you don't have nearly as much, if you, when you don't have your base front up there with Keanu Benton and, uh, and the other two, and the two defense ends, there's not nearly as much time. But Bryson Williams barely played. So how many snaps has he played? You got that? You got Pro Football Focus. How many snaps has uh, Bryson Williams played? I, I would take. I'm going to go under 30. You would be correct. He has played 22 snaps in six games this season. Uh, I mean, I guess there's just not a lot left if Keanu Benton is taking the bulk at that position. Keanu has played 142 snaps. So how many are really left at that spot? There's not. Because, because a lot of teams spread spread you out, and you have to have five defensive backs on the field, and that takes your nose tackle as good as he is, as he is, and we know how good he is off the field, and that's probably a benefit for other teams that they don't have to face uh, Keanu Benton on a on a down to down basis because he is uh, he is tough to move. And and while while we're on the topic of snap counts, I'll just interject since we were talking about Mullins. He's played seventy five snaps in six games, so that's a that's a respectable amount, and that's. He's your third defensive end without Henningsen, so you gotta have you gotta have him out there. Yeah, and I think it's probably likely that we see a bunch of Isaiah Mullins in the bowl game because that did not look good for uh, Isaiah Loudermilk's knee on the uh, on that last Minnesota drive before overtime. Uh, he was not able to return, but he got bent sideways big time on that fumble when Leo Chanel f- forced that fumble. Someone came 
really, really bad down on his knee, which is really unfortunate because he's obviously getting ready to to go into the NFL and, and hopefully into the NFL draft. But I guess I would be surprised. I'm speculating, of course. I don't know this, but I would be surprised if we see him against Wake Forest because that did not look good. So just personal opinion there. <laughs> You're not no no all right. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you don't want to. I'll, I'll just wait for the uh, pregame status report that uh, magically has a bunch of names you weren't aware. Or, or out. Oh, Nikia so. Watson. No, not no Nikia Watson. All right, sounds good. Well, yeah. What that? What's that about? No. Yeah. No. Nobody left on offense. Okay. <laughs> oh, Cole Van Landon. Hello. I see that. All right. I think that's going to do it. Who do you got in the bowl game, Jesse? Uh, give me Wisconsin. They go out on a high note. They get somebody back. Jalen Berger runs for a hundred yards. Were you surprised that uh, Ohio State got them to change the seventeen, the uh, twenty-one day to the seventeen day? Ohio State working the magic, man. Um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be since they got into the Big Ten championship game, but they're the Big Ten's best hope for a championship. I mean, it's long overdue. Honestly, the twenty-one days, which we could get into as a separate discussion, but I won't. Just way too long. And at least this will give an opportunity for some guys to, to play in, in a bowl game. Right. It is, but it is BS that it took Ohio State needing their guys for the college football playoff for them to be able to do this. Like they couldn't. Like the the, the information has been out on this for quite some time, right? Yep. Like we've we've known this for well over a month, uh, if not longer, and yet the Big Ten didn't change it. They didn't change it until Ohio State needed it to be changed. And that's a bunch of BS. And I feel horrible for guys that had to sit out 21 days and miss three games because of it. And now all of a sudden, because Ohio State needs their guys to battle Clemson, we make the change. I didn't really care about the five, like the Big Ten championship rule because you knew you you knew Ohio State was the big one of the, is the best team in the conference, right? So it makes sense to actually do that. But this rule, this change, it's a bunch of BS. But it'll work out well for Jalen Berger, which is good. But I mean, it's trash that it took. Ohio State needing their guys to get it to go through. I think that's that's obvious. But either way, we will be back after the uh, after the new year to look back at Wisconsin's game against uh, Wake Forest, and then also look ahead to next year a little what the future holds uh, for the twenty twenty one Wisconsin Badgers. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, you've been listening to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.